5: Here's a question. Just how did Catholics like William Shakespeare, mm -hmm, the great playwright Catholic, how did they survive in this time of crisis that they were experiencing? You know, persecution, arrest, heavy fines, execution, and so much more. How did they maintain their faith? How did they live that faith? How did they thrive? But uh, how did they come back To the Catholic Church. We're going to have that conversation with Joseph Pierce coming up at 35 past the hour. I think there are a lot of parallels to that time in ours, and we'll discuss that with Joseph Pierce. Also, the Biden administration declares open season on religious hospitals that object to gender transitions. We'll talk about that at 15 past. In addition to, did you know you have an opportunity at a plenary indulgence on this beautiful Franciscan feast day. Uh, so don't tell Adrian we're doing Franciscan feast days today. But nonetheless, that's coming up at 15 past the hour. At the top of the next hour, if you can join us, Brent Haynes, attorney, pro-life uh, advocate, and uh, Catholic speaker is going to be on to talk about a huge pro-life victory in Indiana. So that's coming up if you can join us in the next hour. Hey, there was a huge treasure trove of documents released last week by the American First Legal Uh, Foundation obtained from a FOIA uh, a lawsuit that obtained these uh, these documents and they discovered that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention they worked hand in glove with big tech to censor people with uh, who are passing on quote misinformation close quote about the uh, you know the vaccinations so that's kind of interesting have you been paying attention to the documents that Pfizer has been forced to to release. It's kind of a big deal. Hey, the price of gasoline has fell for the seventh consecutive week. Praise be to God. Providing Americans with some relief at the pump. However, experts are saying, yeah, don't get your hopes up. It probably is going to go back up to 5 bucks national average again very soon. President Joe Biden has announced that al-Qaeda leader Aman al Sawari was killed by U.S. drone strike in Kabul. And the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is expected to land in Taiwan today. The question becomes, what will China do? I guess we're going to have to pass it to find out, as Nancy once famously said. Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Good morning, Joe. I I already have my bracelet that says, what would ti- What would China do? <laughs> what would China do? They're, what? They're, what would China do? Well, they, they, did you, I don't know if you saw the clip, but they, their their <laughs> spokesperson actually said that. As for what we will do, we will have to find out. Hmm. Yeah, he did say
6: something else, but uh, I'll get into
5: that, into the news segment.
6: Ooh, it's, that, uh, it's spicy. Yeah. That, that's a spicy
5: meatball.
1: Praise be Speaking of which, Adrian Vonsake is here on The Ones and Twos. Good morning to Adrian. Howdy, howdy. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. Is it? Yes, especially since, man, mm-hmm. the saint of the day, mm-hmm. great Franciscan, Franciscan saint. Wait until you hear about this great Franciscan saint. What, you, it's gonna be great you are it's gonna be wonderful are you joking or it's gonna be wonderful you're willfully one of the on greatest your one of the greatest saints ever actually You're top you're 10 you have volunteered saints. like just for the record i didn't force you threaten mm-hmm. you in any way right didn't pay you uh-huh to choose blink the, twice if i'm being held hostage you can't see over the radio but i'm blinking <laughs> twice help <laughs> there's no
5: coercion here whatsoever but you've chosen of your own free will. And I would say divine inspiration mm-hmm. to choose a Franciscan right. saint today. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. Praise be to God. All right, we have a lot to get into. Hopefully you can join us for all or part of it. Do us a favor and share us with a friend. We would be extremely grateful to you. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy. Hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Now your headlines with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Tuesday,
6: August 2nd, and here are your headlines this morning. This one's from the Washington Examiner. The headline goes, Pray for Pelosi shock threat from Chinese mouthpiece ahead of speaker's Taiwan visit. A social media post from the Global Times, which is a Chinese Communist Party mouthpiece, did not threaten Pelosi but did ask for others to wish her a safe journey on her expected visit. Top White House officials have expressed safety concerns about Pelosi's travel plans due to high tensions with China, which claims Taiwan is part of its territory even though the island leaders have maintained it is self-governed. Quote, Let her go to Taiwan, the tweet read. But pray before departure, wish herself a safe journey, and wish herself not to be defined by history as a sinner who starts a spiral of escalation, expanding military frictions to a large-scale war in the Taiwan Strait." Unquote. The Epic Times reports U.S. kills Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri. The United States successfully concluded an airstrike that killed the Emir of Al-Qaeda Ayman al-Zawahiri. American forces conducted the precision air air drone strike on the al-Qaeda leader in Kabul, Afghanistan. Biden called Zawahiri the number two at the time of the 9-11 terrorist attack and the mastermind behind attacks against Americans for decades. The Epic Times reports real-life Lassie leads search and rescue to his 53-year-old owner who fell off a 70-foot cliff in the woods. It was like a scene from the movie Lassie. A heroic border collie led rescuers to help his injured owner, who had fallen off a cliff deep in the woods. The 53-year-old man fell down a 70-foot cliff in the remote part of the Tahoe Forest in Northern California, breaking his hip and ribs. But he managed to move himself to a place where he had cell phone reception and called for help. The dog was described as jumping up and down and spinning in circles. The Lassie-like behavior helped them save the dog's owner. They started following him, and he went from somewhere between 150 and 200 yards and took them right to the victim, Sergeant Hack, the emergency responder said. And Lifesight reports Pope Francis on the church's ban on birth control. Says morality is always on the path of development. While many headlines addressed his comments hinting at a possible retirement, his remarks on contraception passed relatively unnoticed. Many Catholics, but also, many theologians think that the development is needed in the church's doctrine regarding contraceptives, asked Claire Gaingrave of Religion News Service, continuing, are you open in short to the re-evaluation in this regard, or does the possibility exist for a couple to consider contraceptives? Pope Francis called the question very timely, adding that dogma, morality, is always on the path of development, but always developing in the same direction. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you.
1: The saint of the day, the great and wonderful Blessed Jane of Azza. She was born in the 12th century. Devotion to Our Lady was typical of medieval Spaniards, as indeed of any Christian of the time. But the devotion to Mary bequeathed by Saint Dominic to his children was something more than ordinary. And in the natural course of events, it, would, it could come from only one source, his own mother. Her name, the scanty records tell us, was Jane of Azza, and neither the date of her birth nor that of her death is known with certainty. Not being of great material importance, she made little impression on history, but the print of her personality will be seen for all time on the order founded by her son. Dominic must have had a very tender love for his mother to make him turn so constantly, trustingly, instinctively to Our Lady in all the troubles and joys of his latter life. Legend relates that before the birth of Dominic, Blessed Jane beheld a vision in which she saw her son running as a swift greyhound through the world bearing in his mouth a torch with which he illuminated the world. It was for her to fan and shelter that flame as at its very kindling and to teach the child of predilection the prayer he would say with such rich results for a lifetime of saintly action. Not only was it Jane who first taught her son the words of the Hail Mary, that key with which he unlocked heaven for so many souls, but it was she that gave to him the living example of Christian womanhood. If in later years his sons were to cherish such a chivalrous love for the gracious Queen of Heaven, much of it was due to the reverential awe and tender love with which this truly Christian lady inspired her three priest sons. To every priest, his own mother is the personification of all that is good and lovable in woman. She is the ideal to inspire him, the lighthouse to beckon him, and the living picture of the mother of the first priest. It could have been no different for Dominic. Where else would he brought up amid the scene of war in the man's world of of the university see in action the ideals of womanly purity, gentleness, and never-failing help that he was to cherish as the attributes of his heavenly queen? Traditionally that her two older sons Anthony and Mans, were already preparing for the priesthood when Dominic was born. Knowing that her soldier husband expected their third son to carry on the family name and fortunes, Jane seems still to have cherished for him the goal of the priesthood. Very likely Dominic and we owe to his understanding mother the fortune that placed a book in his hands instead of a sword. Her picture, as that of any mother, can best be seen reflected in her sons. Blessed Jane of Azza, grandmother of the Dominican Order, pray for us. Nice Franciscan there, Adrian.
5: Praise be to God in all things. The gospel today comes to us from Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 14. This is from the proper of the saints today. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both fall into a pit. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What a condemnation that would be to be considered a plant not planted by the Father. Yikes. Let them alone, our Lord tells us, but Haddox's commentary, quoting from St. Jerome, says, We must not neglect to teach the truth, though it displeases men. Mm-hmm. Going on to quote St. Gregory, Hadoch says, We see scandal arise from our preaching truth. We must rather suffer it to take place than desert the truth. Our Lord says they are blind. Let us leave them. For the land, which has often been watered with the dews of heaven, and still continues barren, is deserted. Behold, your house shall be left desolate." Close quote, Hadoc and St. Gregory. Hadoc goes on to say, "...no uncleanness in meat, nor any uh, dirt contracted by eating it with unwashed hands can defile the soul, but sin alone." or a disobedience of the heart to the ordinance of the will of God. And thus, when Adam took the forbidden fruit, it was not the apple which entered into his mouth, but the disobedience of the law of God which defiled him. Catch that? The disobedience of the law of God defiles us all. Hadock's commentary was very good today. He goes on to say, "Quote: If a Jew in the time of the old law had eaten swine's flesh, or a Christian convert in the days of the apostles, contrary to their ordinance, had eaten blood, or if any of the faithful at present should transgress the ordinance of God's church by breaking the fast, for in all these cases the soul would be defiled. Not indeed by that which goeth into the mouth, but by the disobedience of the heart in wilfully transgressing the ordinance of God or of those who have their authority for him, close quote, Hadox Commentary. Ignatius Catholic Commentary points out that Jesus clash with the religious leaders, centers on oral traditions added to the Mosaic Law. Addressing the Pharisees, Jesus designates ceremonial washing and the custom of dedication as your tradition. He denies that these Pharisaic customs hold the same weight and authority as the Law of God. The Pharisees were violating the Word of God by overemphasizing the importance of their own traditions at the expense of the law. Only traditions that stem from Christ and the apostles have divine authority since they are not of human origin. Praise be to God. Let us not defile ourselves today through disobedience to the holy will of God. Furthermore, let us be confident and courageous in defending truth even when nobody likes to hear it be right back don't go anywhere what's concerning us is up next
7: we are a young and diverse generation helping those in need and promoting human rights we care for the environment we embrace authentic witnesses and dream of a better world our passion comes from god who loves us even when we fall and cheers on our victories If you sometimes wonder, is there something more, then come and see at catholicscomehome.com.
0: Some time back, I had a chat with some Jehovah Witness ladies, and they made the assertion that the first Christians didn't believe Jesus was God. That belief was a later invention. But is this true? No, it's not. Leaving John 1.1 1, 1 off to the side for now due to disputes with Jehovah Witnesses over its translation, John 20.28 20, records the Apostle Thomas saying to Jesus, which literally translates from the Greek, the Lord of me and the God of me. John says of Jesus in 1 John 5.20, this is the true God and eternal life. Paul writes of Jesus in Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It doesn't get any clearer than that. There are many more passages, but these suffice to show that the first Christians did believe that Jesus was God. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com
5: Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to God. Did you know... That William Shakespeare was Catholic. I mean, I got to tell you, growing up, I would have never thought about it. It was never even discussed, I suppose. But I remember the first time someone ever suggested that William Shakespeare could be Catholic? My head twisted a little bit. Like, wait, what? Et tu, Brute, I would respond. But nonetheless, it's true. He was Catholic. And the question is, how do Catholics survive in a time of crisis? Many Catholics today feel like there is a crisis in our midst So how do we take from the example of those that that survived great times of persecution? For instance, like William Shakespeare. We're going to have that conversation with Joseph Pierce coming up at 35 past this hour, so please stick around for that and share us with a friend. But there are, as I say, lots of stories in the news that are of great concern to me, and I'm sure they are to you. Here's one that is not of great concern. It may be for Adrian, but not for me. It is a great Franciscan feast day, and I want to share this with you real quick before I move on. Uh, and did you know that you can obtain a plenary indulgence today? Yeah, it's, it's true, it's possible, highly unlikely, but still nonetheless, it's possible, technically speaking. Here's the deal out of an article, a uh, Catholic news agency. The feast of Our Lady of the Angels of Porzuncola. I'm sure I messed that up. And its associated indulgence is a way to focus on the importance of Mary and the Franciscan tradition in the church, said one friar. The August 2nd feast is found in the Franciscan tradition and marks the dedication of the parish church, called Porzincola, or Little Portion, which is one of those those Italy's St. Francis of Assisi rebuilt in obedience to Christ's command to rebuild my church. Now, uh, here's the deal. So you can receive an indulgence today. Uh, No, you're not going to need to pull out your checkbook or go to your PayPal account to receive this uh, indulgence. In fact, it's far harder than that obtain, I would argue. An indulgence, says the article, is the remission of the temporal punishment due to sins which have already been forgiven, and it can be plenary or partial. What does that mean? Well, the classic example for this would be if I broke my neighbor's window, I would say, hey, man, I'm sorry. Mea culpa. My bad. I didn't mean to break your window. I'm sorry. Well, if you're truly sorry, you're going to replace You're going to fix what you've broken, right? You're going to replace it. You're going to spend the money, the the burden to make sure that your neighbor's window is restored to what it was before. Well, similarly, when we offend God, we have to uh, make a confession, a good and holy confession to repair that relationship, to restore the graces that we have now killed inside of us through our own act of sin, We go to confession, we make that good confession, the priest absolves us. However, if we're truly sorry, we're going to want to make that up. We're going to make that good. That is that temporal punishment. Well, if we don't do it in this life, we're going to do it in the next. So we might want to choose wisely. Well, the article goes on to say, "...a plenary indulgence requires that the individual be in the state of grace by the completion of the acts, and have complete detachment for from sin." Therein lies the punchline, in my opinion. The person must also sacramentally confess their sins and receive communion up to 20 days before or after the Indulgence Act. Anyone who visits a Catholic Church with the intention of honoring Our Lady of the Angels, which is the feast feast day today uh, for the Franciscans, and recites the Creed, the Our Father, and prays for the Pope's intentions, may receive a plenary indulgence Today, August the second. So there's your chance. You got an opportunity here to uh, to go to a church to pray, as as it says, for the intention of honoring Our Lady on this feast day of Our Lady of the Angels, and recite the Creed, the Our Father, and pray for the Pope's intentions. Then prepare yourself very well. Make a great confession. So you want to get a, a a really good. Um, uh, sort of an examination of conscience, and uh, Adrian, do you guys have a, a good uh, sort of a suggestion for the best possible examination of conscience, Rudy? Yeah, I have one.
6: Uh, there's, uh, I have to check what it's called, but if, if you if you have access to archive.org, you just go go to archive.org mm-hmm. and type in mm-hmm. uh, La Missile or My Prayer Book L-A-S-A-N-C-E. Mm-hmm. L-A-S-S-A-N-C-E. mm-hmm. Uh, there's a section in that prayer book about making a good confession, and it goes through uh, goes through all of the commandments, of course. It goes through all of the laws of the church. Nice. It gives you a good preparation for confession to incite uh, contrition. Uh, prayers after confession uh, Pious ejaculations Those sorts of things So I would recommend that Yeah, and I'll look for the flyer Fish
5: well, Eaters mm-hmm. has an excellent examination as well I've sent that to our CDT insiders in the past in the, On our email list So check out Fish yeah. Eaters as well
1: My favorite is Father Ripperger's uh, His examination So if you just mm-hmm. look up Father Ripperger uh, Examination of conscience It's mm-hmm. usually the first one that pops up It's under his Sinsus Traditionis is the name of his uh, wab- website, awesome. org.
5: All right. So there you go. Uh, what an opportunity today. Stop by maybe during your lunch hour. Just stop and pray those prayers, and then uh, make your examination, receive Holy Communion. And you uh, if you can detach yourself from sin, and oh. that's the key, isn't it? Yeah, it is. That's Here- the kicker there. It's like you can make a great examination. You can receive communion. You can say these prayers. But you have to detach yourself from venial sin as well. Yeah. That's, that's tougher than you think. And the question is for how long? Yeah, <laughs> like, Forever. Are we talking 30 seconds, a minute, a day? Even the venial during sins communion? offend our
6: Lord. So we have to
5: Oh No, I get that. Get rid but of I that. mean, for the plenary indulgence, how long must one be detached? How long do you have to live? Forever. Detached. Here's another exam that I like. It's
6: mm-hmm. uh, from the Fathers of Mercy. Yeah. So if you go to fathersofmercy.com, mm-hmm. there's an examine there, and it goes through all kinds of different things. It has all the wonderful things you would need, virtues. Uh, the uh, uh, You would see the way that you can be an accessory to somebody's, another, another person's sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just goes through a whole list of things. So pretty all good. Right.
5: So take advantage on this beautiful feast day of the Franciscan calendar, uh, in spite of what Adrian might suggest. All right, let's uh, switch gears here. I saw this headline today. Biden administration declares open season on religious hospitals that object to gender transitions out of the National Review, nationalreview.com. And, uh, you know, this has been one of those stories that has been happening now for g- going back to the Obama administration, Obama administration for sure. But even uh, recently, it's been ramping up. And so here's a little bit of this article. It says, in 2016, the Obama administration's Department of Health and Human Services issued a rule that would have forced doctors across the country to assist in transitioning patients out of their biological sex, regardless of a provider's medical opinion or conscience objections. Uh, quote, a provider specializing in gynecological services that previously declined to provide a medically necessary hysterectomy for a transgendered man. Close Quote, for example, going on to say, quote, would have to revise its policy to provide the procedure for transgender individuals in the same manner it provides the procedure for other individuals close quote the rule left no no room for religious physicians or institutions to breathe instead menacing them with draconian fines were they not to toe the controversial new line in steeped uh, in uh, instepped the beckett fund for religious liberty which swiftly secured a preliminary injunction in federal court that stopped the rule from going into effect on the grounds that it violated the Administrative Procedure Act and likely violated the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. It was a decision later confirmed in 2019 and made permanent by a 2021 ruling. On August the 4th, however, Beckett attorney Luke Goodrich, who has been working on the case since the Obama-era ruled was first issued, um, will march back into the courtroom having been dragged back in by the Biden administration health, uh, secretary for Health and Human Services purported Catholic Xavier Becerra, who claims to be Catholic. Quote, they say that our lawsuit was only about the 2016 rule. They say, well, all you... We're challenging, well, all you were challenging was the 2016 rule, and you won that, but now we're using a different rule or a different rationale for imposing the same requirement on you. And so you have to file a new lawsuit, close quote, explained Goodrich. Under the Biden administration's theory, the Affordable Care Act provides the administration with, quote, All the authority, close quote, it needs to, quote, punish groups that don't perform gender transitions and abortions, close quote, Goodrich told the National Review. Did you catch that? All the authority they need to punish, to force people who would not want to have to perform transitions or abortions, they are now being forced and threatened. The 2016 rule also included language that Beckett alleges would force religious institutions to reform these abortions. According to Goodrich, quote, the merits are completely resolved and haven't been appealed. The fight on appeal is about the scope of relief, close quote. He described an effort to work around a losing legal argument by burdening religious objectors and opening up new fronts of battle. Quote, they want religious organizations to have to play whack-a-mole every time the government violates the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And they want a ruling that will leave them free to keep violation, violating religious liberty every time they, uh, that they uh, shuffle the same legal requirements from one volume of the Federal Register to another, close quote he said. The strategy is observable in the proposal of yet another, even broader rule, modeled after the 2016 one, issued by Bacetta, who has made his political brand on waging one ruthless culture war after another. As Attorney General of California, Bacetta sought to punish independent journalists who exposed Planned Parenthood's sale of fetal remains harvesting during abortions. That's right. So did uh, our good, you know, the friend of the show, Kamala Harris, <laughs> vice president. I think she also, uh, you know, tried to lay the hammer upon those, uh, those very uh, courageous journalists who tried to expose the horrific crimes of those that would sell baby body parts in abortion. The Los Angeles Times editorial board described his decision to charge those involved with felonies, quote, disturbing, close quote, and the progressive Mother Jones called it chilling. He also happily enforced a plainly unconstitutional California statute requiring pro-life crisis pregnancy centers to provide pro-abortion materials to patrons. And, as a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, voted against legislation that would allow providers not to perform abortions without fear of government reprisal. In a call with reporters last week, Becerra described the rule as an attempt to, quote, make sure that whoever you are, whatever you look like, Whatever you, wherever you live, however you wish to live your life, that you have access to the care that you need so that your decisions are based on what you and your health care provider and your physician or the person you depend on for medical decisions is available to you so you can access the care that you need. Close quote If Goodrich and his colleagues win on Thursday, that would mean that Pesetta's attempt to bully religious providers into submission would be dead on arrival. Let us pray that the Beckett Fund is successful in pushing back the supposed Xavier Becerra, forcing Catholic institutions to have to perform transgendered surgeries and abortions. This is horrific, and it's wrong, and it's evil, and it should be stopped. Let's pray for their success. We'll be right back. Breaking news, and William Shakespeare is coming up next.
2: Money, sex, power. They're all endlessly enticing, but never fulfilling. They always lead to a dead end. Materialism cannot satisfy. Pleasure loses its pleasure. And most people figure that out. And in desperation, they look anywhere for help except to the Church. They look to Eastern philosophies, to spiritualism, to strange new religions, but there's only one answer to their eternal questions. They deny it, they dance around it, they run from it, but they won't try the one thing that works. They won't try it because they know what it costs everything it means taking up your cross and following jesus in all things gk chesterton says the christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting it has been found difficult and left untried want more than a minute chesterton.org welcome back to
6: catholic drive time keeping you informed and inspired and now more headlines The Washington Examiner reports Biden administration announces $550 million military aid package to Ukraine. The Biden administration announced yet another military aid package to Ukraine valued at $550 million on Monday. The aid was authorized from the Presidential Drawdown Authority for the 17th time, which means it comes from U.S. stockpiles. The United States has already provided more than $8 billion worth of military aid since Ukraine uh, to Ukraine since Russia invaded in late February. Sky News reports, We will fight to the end. Archie Battersby's parents to appeal decision to end life support treatment. The parents of Archie Battersby say they will appeal a decision not to delay the withdrawal of life-preserving treatment for their brain-damaged child. The Court of Appeal has refused to postpone the ending of life support for the 12-year-old beyond midday on Tuesday today, as it rejected a last-ditch bid by a United Nations committee. Breitbart reports Orwellian hellscape. Top economist blasts Facebook for fact-checking claim of American recession. Facebook recently placed a fact-checking label on a post written by top economist Philip Magnus, who is a research and education director at the American Institute for Economic Research, after he stated that America is now in a recession. Magnus fired back at Mark Zuckerberg, saying, We live in a Orwellian hellscape. Facebook is now fact-checking anyone who questions the White House's word games about the
5: definition of a recession. And those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Praise be to God in all things. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. You know, many say that we are living in a time of crisis. And uh, recently, uh, back at the house, my family's been reading a book called The Quest for Shakespeare, The Bard of Avon and the Church of Rome. And we thought, I was just thinking, golly is this is a time when Catholics were, uh, no doubt, living in great crisis. How did, they, how did they do that? How did they live their life? How did they maintain their faith? How did they avoid... The worst possible consequences. And so we've invited Joseph Pierce, the author of that book and several many other books actually to be on the show to discuss that. Good morning to you, Joseph Pierce
9: morning. Thanks for having me.
5: Yeah, praise be to God. We're grateful for your time today. Um, Fantastic uh, book, by the way. You know, uh, I remember the first time someone suggested that William Shakespeare is Catholic, my mind twisted a bit. Like, uh, how is this possible? i have never heard this before. This seems novel and weird. Um, so let me ask you uh, right out of the gate, a question: What is your most compelling You've written, I think, three books. You've taught courses on this. What is your most compelling evidence uh, to to suggest that William Shakespeare was in fact Catholic?
9: first thing i would say joe is that i uh had exactly the same response as you did when i when i was first told by people that that there was evidence for shakespeare's catholicism i just dismissed it as wishful thinking but then you know as time went on i kept coming across pieces of evidence and at some point i got intrigued enough to start looking for it and then the books i've written on Shakespeare are the fruit of that so the biggest i mean there's so where where does one begin but for me i think the, the most compelling evidence is the last thing that shakespeare did uh, before retiring from London uh, in 1612, 1613, was to buy the Blackfriars Gatehouse, uh, which was the gatehouse to the Dominican uh, uh, house in London, which was, of course, dissolved, destroyed by Henry VIII uh, in the 1530s. But the, the, the gatehouse had always remained in Catholic hands. We had the property deeds, right in those days, Henry VIII, mm-hmm. 80 years later, William Shakespeare buys it. That house had been a center for illegal Catholic activity. By illegal, I mean it was illegal to be a priest. It was punishable by death to be a priest. It was punishable by death to hide a priest from the authorities. So this house that, that was raided on several occasions, we know that priests stayed there, Jesuits stayed there, and it had secret passageways down to the river so that people could escape during such raids. This is the house that Shakespeare buys. Not only does he buy it, he insists that the tenant, John Robinson, who's living there before he buys it, should continue to live there. John Robinson uh, is the only one of Shakespeare's London friends who's with him in his final illness, so he's a close friend. And the same year in which Shakespeare buys that house, uh, John Robinson's brother enters the English College in Rome to study for the priesthood. I mean, I could give other evidence, but there's, there's one... One little bit of evidence for
1: you. You know, one thing that whenever I first came across your book, I was in university, I think my junior year of university, and I was taking a course, and I was just came across your book and started reading it, and I was blown away because I had always been told in high school – and in other places that Shakespeare was most likely an atheist. They're like, you know, he didn't go to, he never attended church services and his plays very secular. So not very, uh, he kind of made fun of the supernatural. And so therefore he's, he's not Catholic. Uh, he's clearly not Catholic, but he's not religious at all. He's in fact, he's an atheist. So that was a huge shock to me reading your book. I was like, this isn't, this doesn't compute with anything I've ever been told. And so where did the narrative that he's an atheist come from?
9: I'm, I'm just tempted to say first of all that what you've just said just shows that there is uh, blindness, extreme blindness in the modern academy, um, because uh, you know that 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 to, to say that Shakespeare's an atheist uh, it goes against all the readings of the play. The other thing I've done in, in other books is to show the deep Catholicism of the plays. My my follow-up book to the book we're discussing this morning is called uh, Through Shakespeare's Eye: Seeing the Catholic Presence in the Plays, um, and the reason that they <laughs> He's an atheist, he didn't attend church. He didn't attend church for the same reason his deeply Catholic mother didn't attend church is the Anglican church that didn't attend, the state religion that they were refusing to attend. That's why there's no record of Shakespeare attending church, not because he's an atheist, but because he's a Catholic.
5: Well, let's talk about the plays for a second here. Um, Many have said, now that uh, many that are looking at this from a Catholic lens have said, he has secretly coded Catholic language thoughts and ideas into his works. You've written an entire, a couple of books on this uh, point here. What would you say is his most compelling Catholic work in his uh, plays or poems?
9: Well, I mean, I haven't found one that does not contain uh, a, a deep Catholic dimension. And most of it's not coded. I mean, I don't actually make that claim specifically, uh, other writers have done so and that's fine. I think that Catholicism is, is much more obvious than that. So if, let's take Hamlet for instance, probably his best play. Um, it's all about something rotten in the state of Denmark. Shakespeare's own audience would have known that was something rotten in, 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 in the state of England. It was also illegal in Shakespeare's time to write about contemporary politics or religion. So what does Shakespeare do? Sets sets uh, his plays either in Italy or in the past and of course in England you only have to go back 80 years and you've got Catholicism so that's the way he circumvented that law and Mm. then just before Hamlet was written they also made it illegal to to, to write plays about English history Uh, so what Shakespeare do he writes a play about Danish history (laughs) um, which is basically everyone knows is actually about England and what's the key thing about it? A spy network this malicious spy network supporting a murderous king, uh, and, um, seeking to put the innocent to, to death. So that's exactly what's happening in England at that, at, at the time. England's priests and laity are being betrayed by a network of spies, uh, run by the government. And so the uh, England, you know, the, the, the Shakespeare's audience, that would have been obvious, not coded, but obvious. Mm-hmm. But of course, he can't talk about England because he, he would be sent to prison. But you talk about Denmark in the past and about a network of spies. Everyone knows what he's talking about. It's exactly the same sort of thing that was done during the Soviet Union by anti-communists um, with, with, the, with, with the production of plays there. You're not talking about communism, but you put even stage Antigone and everyone knows you're talking about the Soviet Union.
5: What would you say was Shakespeare's most religious, most Catholic work out of his
9: entire body? Well, again, the, uh, it, it's, um, all of them are Catholic. None of them are obviously so, because for the entirety of, of, of uh, Shakespeare's uh, career, the Catholic Church is illegal, except for a very brief period. Uh, after James the First came to the throne where for about uh, just over a year uh, religious liberty was restored before it was taken away again so what we see is that the, the plays written around that time one's called All's Well That Ends Well and I think we might even take the title to speak for itself and the other is Measure for Measure where the heroine is a religious sister um, and that's, Measure for Measure is probably the most overtly Catholic play but in many respects when the persecution returns he writes plays like Macbeth, you know, Macbeth is a play about a Scottish King. Who's the new King of England? A Scottish King. Again, people would have known that Macbeth is a code name for James. So is it overtly Catholic? No. But does everybody know it's Catholic? Yes. (laughs) Well, that brings me into the next question. Then, if
5: if we can look at this and see that, and to go, oh, that makes it's obvious. It seems very uh, very obvious to us. What about these? Uh, what about these Anglicans? What about the Protestants? What about the anti-Catholics of his day and time? Would they not have also seen that Macbeth was very dangerous territory for this guy?
9: Yes, yeah. I mean, he, he, he was being courageous to write that particular play. Um, uh, uh, it, we have the uh, Ignatius' critical edition of Macbeth. I've had a very long, quite about 7,000 word introduction on the play, so just, you know, people want to dig deeper, they can. We don't have much time here, but... The Puritans hated the theatre. There was a Puritan uh, historian called John Speed who talked about the Papist and his playwright, uh, (laughs) uh, and that was a a Jesuit priest and Shakespeare. Uh, And when the the Puritans got enough power after Shakespeare's death, they closed the theatres down. They considered the theatres to be a network of popery, and and, and they were very opposed to it, and they were largely correct.
5: Well, coming up, uh, we're almost at a break here, but I, I want to ask the question and set it up for the next segment. How is it possible, then, if he's Catholic, uh, he is, he, how did he not get arrested? How did he not get thrown into the Tower of London? we ask that after the break? Well, maybe you can tease it. we got about 30 seconds.
9: Yeah, um, so basically what, what we should discuss after the break is the connection between Shakespeare and a composer such as William Byrd, who's a known Catholic, who also was not arrested, and we know why. So uh, I I would suggest, I do suggest in my book, that Shakespeare was was left alone, and we can discuss why he he was left alone.
5: All right, praise be to God. Hold that thought. Joseph Pierce is our guest. Uh, The book that uh, I was referencing is The Quest for Shakespeare, the Bard of Avon, and the Church of Rome, published by Ignatius. But more coming up right after this very quick break. Don't go anywhere.
10: Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever replaced pronouns in the Bible such as who, whom, whosoever, ye, you, etc., and replaced those words with your name and therefore you personalize the Bible to yourself? Do you do that? Is that a safe way to read the Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Bible complexity. Mechanics study motors. Architects study design. Linguists study syntax. But for the most part, Christians don't study the how-tos of safe biblical interpretation Secondly, Aquinas. In the Summa, we see the caution. Aquinas says of the Bible, quote, the manner of its speech transcends every science because in one and the same sentence, while it describes a fact, it reveals a mystery and thirdly a tough comeback. I know it seems plausible to simply say the Bible is a love letter straight from God to humanity, but wait a minute. A sentence or a paragraph in a love letter has context. Yes, with great caution, we can personalize some context, but remember, when you're at the central figure in the Bible, God isn't, and that's just wrong.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you Let you move about the cabin Looks like we're about 2 hours and 10 minutes from landing Plenty of time for you to do some Bible reading Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Bible regularly? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network
5: Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Good morning. Joseph Pierce is our guest. He has written a, a number of books, but uh, we are at the house. back at the house. Uh, we're really geeking out on this book, The Quest for Shakespeare, The Bard of Avon and the Church of Rome, published by Ignatius, which you can find at Ignatius.com. Uh, but I, uh, Joseph Pierce, welcome back to the program. I think you've written at least three books on Shakespeare.
9: Yes, so I wrote a book, the one you're reading, The Quest for Shakespeare, uh, The Bard of Avon, The Church of Rome, and that's um, that's the historical, biographical evidence for Shakespeare's Catholicism. And I wrote two other books, through Shakespeare's Eye, Seeing the Catholic Presence in the Plays, and then uh, Shakespeare on Love, Seeing the uh, Catholic Presence in Romeo and Juliet. So, mm-hmm. yeah, two books, and then we've had published seven of Shakespeare's plays in the Ignatius Critical Edition series, uh, each m- each of which, to each of which, I've written the introduction. So yes, I've written quite a bit on Shakespeare over the years.
5: You know, uh, Edmund Campion played a, a critical role in the uh, the mission and the history of of Catholic England. And there was an individual that I have uh, been very fond of retelling his story a number of times when I give public talks, and that's Philip of Arendelle. Um Philip was high in the court of Elizabeth, uh, but he spent 10-plus years in the Tower of London, starved to death very slowly, uh, was not allowed to see his wife and children after his reversion, thanks to Edmund Campion. Uh, how is it possible that William Shakespeare, writing things like Macbeth, um, could avoid being captured?
9: Well, as I say, the, the best way of understanding that, I think, is to look at someone who's in, in a very similar position in uh, in, in late Elizabethan England, uh, in Shakespeare's time, basically, a contemporary of Shakespeare, and that's the court composer, William Byrd. You know, some of your listeners will know some of the beautiful uh, music he's written for the Mass. Uh, William Byrd was a, a known recusant Catholic, so not just a Catholic, but a Catholic who refused to attend Anglican services and paid fines. But uh, Queen Elizabeth I liked him. she liked his music. Uh, and told her chief lawyer, the Attorney General, to tell the authorities to leave William Byrd uh, alone. So um, I think that that's the scenario we're looking at with William Shakespeare, that, um, that he wasn't seen to be a personal threat to the Queen uh, or the King. Um, but on saying that, when the Essex Rebellion happened in 1600, uh, that one of Shakespeare's plays, Richard II, was performed, on the night before the rebellion, in the hope that it would cause the people to rise up against Elizabeth. So people were certainly aware that, uh, that his, his plays were volatile, but he managed somehow to stay the right side of the line. I would say, by the way, though, his father was fined for, for his Catholic recusancy in 1592, when Shakespeare was writing his plays, and his daughter Susanna was also fined for her Catholic recusancy in 1606, the same year when Shakespeare was writing Macbeth about the Scottish king.
6: Mr. Pierce, you know, that, uh, I'm wondering now if that uh, response from the authorities was specifically towards the people with influence. Uh, I'm wondering if uh, maybe it was different for other Catholics uh, who maybe weren't so influential. What was their life like day to day? I imagine it would be like being
9: in the upper room. You know, it is a complex situation. There were many known Catholics in the Queen's Court at the end of Elizabeth's reign, so Shakespeare's time, uh, there's so many Catholics in the Queen's Court that the church had to uh, issue instructions as to what Catholics in the Queen's Court could do and what they couldn't do, so for instance they weren't allowed to go to the Anglican services in the Queen's train, in the Queen's presence, because to refuse to do so would mean uh, execution But they were not allowed to receive Anglican communion. So, you know, so we have to realise a large section of the population was still Catholics, and you know, if they didn't go to Anglican services, they were fined, and these fines were crippling. Um, So that was the worst persecution. Many were forced into exile. But generally speaking, um, jail and and execution was for priests or for those who were uh, caught. And found guilty of hiding priests, so uh, you know, if you if you, you weren 't a priest and you weren 't actually caught hiding a priest you know, apart from the fines you would be uh, you know left alone, you would be able to carry on
5: you know um I read the uh, *Hunted Priest*. I thought that was just utterly fascinating. Uh, you know, the the journal of a Jesuit who, born and raised in England, became a priest in Europe, and then came back, arrested, Tower of London, escaped by a high wire. I mean, it was great reading, and you and it's fascinating to see. But one of the things is, uh, a con, a, I see a somewhat of a contrast here between the heroic. Jesuit stories of trying to create these these Catholic centers, the houses, the manners of the rich, converting them, creating uh, opportunities to convert the staff and their families to so whole villages almost, and then of course providing the mass sacraments and whatnot, catechesis. And then that, but we're talking about the mass that was said there uh, under the threat of death, was the traditional Latin mass. So the Catholics at the time struggling, that was their tradition, that is their patrimony, that is their history. Fast forward to our day, the Catholics who have come back to the church, they haven't come back with their tradition and patrimony. They've come back with an Anglican use. Um, when did that shift in English history?
9: Well, actually, that's a, that, that is a very complex uh, question. So basically, um, in the 19th century, largely because of the Oxford movement, of which John Henry Newman was the leader, there was a move within the Anglican Church to rediscover its Catholic roots. Uh, this became known as Anglo-Catholicism. Um, and this was sort of leapfrogging over the whole period of the Reformation and rediscovering the medieval church, which was, of course, Catholic. So the Anglicans um, uh, tried to... They tried to make the Anglican service as, as much like the Mass as possible. Um, they they argued that the Anglican Church was part of the Catholic Church. Um, uh, but John Henry Newman, who was the leader of that movement, the Oxford Movement, through his research of the English father, the Church Fathers, and history in general, uh, came to the the the, uh, the conclusion which the Church had always insisted upon that the Anglican Church was founded by Henry VIII. It was it's not uh, a bona fide Catholic Church, and then he follows his conscience, uh, uh, and becomes a Catholic. So, um, then you have that whole stream of converts from the Anglican Church coming in from that time onwards. That was 1845 onwards. And then the, the more recent converts in the Anglican Church are due to modernism and heresy in the Anglican Church, such as faith. a lot of them came in because of the, uh, the, uh, uh, the introduction of priestesses. Um, so this is a, this is a reaction to to modernism. And in fact that modernism within the Anglican Church can be seen to to basically have destroyed it. The Anglican Church is its death rose. And it was a blessing to the Catholic Church because we had hundreds of Anglican priests coming over, many of whom have, have become ordained as Catholic priests. And that's why we have the ordinaria and the Anglican use um uh, mass now, which uh, you know is is based upon ironically uh, the Book of Common Prayer by Thomas Cranmer, who was no friend of the Catholic Church, but, but a great writer of English, it's very beautiful. Uh, but that was obviously, that was amended to to, to make it a, a bona fide uh, Catholic Mass, and that's what the Ordinariats celebrate.
1: So during, the, during that time period that you're speaking of, whenever John Henry Newman, back before he converted, was revitalizing the Catholic roots of Anglican England, the, why did there, why was there not a resurgence of the Serum Rite and other English Rites? Because I remember there being a few English Rites, Serum being the most popular of them. What happened to those? Why did those not get revived instead of using bringing um, a, the Book of Common Prayer and revitalizing liturgical worship in that sense?
9: Well, the Book of Common Prayer wasn't brought back until the ordinary uh, during the reign of uh, St. John Paul II. So we have to understand that... that, that um, when 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 St John Henry Newman leaves the Anglican Church uh, he's leaving a church which is you know not the, the catholic church and then he comes into the, to, to our church and, and and celebrates the uh the tridentine mass the traditional latin mass as every, that's what everybody was celebrating certainly in western europe at this point the Serum rite uh was you know basically killed off essentially by the reformation because you know the priests um obviously Became illegal, and those priests that came back into the country were celebrating the Tridentine Mass, the church, you know, the, the, the liturgy from Rome, because that's where m- many of them were coming from, amongst other things. And that had become the standard rite of, of the Western church. So, um, the, serum, the serum use, I mean, some people still celebrate it now, and obviously it's part of the t- tradition of the church, but it effectively was killed off uh, as regards a, a continuum, a living tradition uh, by the Reformation.
5: We're down to just a couple of minutes here with Joseph Pierce. Uh, let me ask a, a follow-up question on but going back to Shakespeare here for a second. How often would he have gone to Catholic Mass?
9: Right. It's, 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 not, um, it's impossible to know because the whole point about <laughs> such a time, it's like, again, the Soviet Union, people don't leave a paper trail. Right? Mm-hmm. You don't tell people you're going to Mass because that's basically when I guarantee you go to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that he was uh, close to the Jesuit martyrs Robert Southwell, um, there are all sorts of evidence for that historically, biographically, and textually from the plays. So Robert Southall ministered to, to England's Catholics, uh, in London, where, uh, where Shakespeare was living. Um, and I find it, uh, in, you know, unbelievable to believe anything other than if he's close to Sir Robert Southall, he's also actually attending Masses and the, and the sacraments when Sir Robert Southall makes it available. But is there any evidence of that? No. But is there any evidence of Sir Robert Southall ever celebrating Mass? during his six years before he's arrested. No, but no one's going to say that Sir Robert Suttle, a Jesuit priest, uh, had not come back to England putting his life on the line if it wasn't primarily to offer the sacraments to the people.
5: You know, uh, just to sort of wrap this up, because we're coming down to the wire here, is uh, many people believe that we are living in a time of crisis, and these Catholics in that time were definitely living in a time of crisis, yet they seem to do extraordinary things to ensure that they could continue to live uh, the Catholic faith, wouldn't you say?
9: Yeah, I think times of persecution are times of opportunity. There are times when we are called to be martyrs and witnesses, whatever sort of martyrdom is called of us. And it's really, it's what sorts out the wheat from the chaff. You no know, fair weather Catholics will will, will will disappear when when the going gets tough, and it will be a purification of the church. The church will be smaller in terms of number, not as Benedict, Pope Benedict the sixteenth said it will be the mustard seed church, and times of persecution are uh, always times of purification and you know, after every death of the church there 's a resurrection of the church, so we need to be able to see our own times within the context of, of all times. 2,000 years of church history, and that allows us to un- see our own times in context and far from despairing to-, to glorify the Lord. And to know, of course, the end of the world for us is when we die. So that's the finishing line we need to be keeping our, our eye on at all times.
5: Yeah, we don't know if we're going to make it even through the day, I guess. you know. Uh, praise be to God. Joseph Pierce, the author of The Quest for Shakespeare, The Bard of Avon, and The Church of Rome. Uh, when You wrote that book, I don't know, probably five, six, seven years ago?
9: Like 15 years ago now. Is it really actually.
5: that old? 15 years. Wow. You can get it uh, actually for under 17 bucks right now at Ignatius.com. You should check it out. It's a great book. Family's enjoying it. The uh, The Quest for Shakespeare at Ignatius.com. Joseph Pierce, God bless you. God love you. Thank you for your time today.
9: My pleasure. Thanks for having me. God bless you.
5: We look forward to having you back soon. All right, that's going to do it for hour number one. If you can join us in the second hour, we're going to catch up with Attorney Brent Haynes on some big stories, big pro-life stories, all that and more coming up in the next hour. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Don't forget grnonline.com. Forty-five.
10: Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your One Minute Tool for Catholic Evangelism. Here's the question. Should pastors and churches place expectations and obligations on the congregation? Your average non-Catholic evangelical would say no, maybe even no way. It might be said, we do not need written order, discipline, or expectations. Those should derive from personal desire and from the Holy Spirit, not from a church. Or, each Christian's conscience should be sufficient for correction and discipline. Or, the Holy Spirit will personally lead each believer as to what church or to attend, and certainly how often they should go. So, here's your three best friends of tools for catholic evangelism natural law says human society cannot be well ordered nor prosperous unless it has legitimate authority to preserve its own institution the bible secondly the bible which says in multiple places such as hebrews 13:17, obey them that have the rule over you and thirdly the catholic church says when we are properly ordered we will be capable of resisting conformity to the contemporary demands of unhealthy individualism so obligations much obliged
3: our family has spanned the centuries and the globe. With God's grace, we started hospitals to care for the sick. We established orphanages and help the poor. We are the largest charitable organization on the planet, bringing comfort to those in need. We educate more children than any other institution. We developed the scientific method and founded the college system. We defend the dignity of human life and uphold marriage. Guided by the Holy Spirit, we compiled the Bible. We are transformed by sacred scripture and sacred tradition, which have guided us for 2,000 years. We are the Catholic Church. With over 1 billion in our family, sharing in the sacraments and fullness of the Christian faith, Jesus started our church when he said to Peter, the first pope, You are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. So if you've been away from the Catholic Church, We invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. We are Catholic. Welcome home.
5: Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not going to want to miss. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and get signed up today.
7: Hello everyone out there in Catholic Radio, I'm Lamont from St. Teresa's Parish, and you're listening to KSHJ 1430 AM, Catholic Radio, Houston.
5: Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McClendon, so good to be on with you, praise be to God. Good morning. Good morning to our crew, by the way, over on our Catholic Drive Time Instagram private group, hanging out with us this morning, Nick, praise be to Jesus. Tammy, and Clarissa, Damon is over there. Uh, praise be to God. Adrian is already uh, stirring stirring the pot up early, early this morning <laughs> in the ECDT Instagram group. Daniel, good morning to you. Thanks for hanging out with us today over on uh, on Telegram. By the way, we will be hanging out with you in the after show where our friend Jay Koch demands that we speak about cars today. I can do that. In the that. after show. So we will... We will be discussing uh, cars of some kind, of some flavor. We're going to be discussing why the station wagon
6: is the best form.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Beamer For a car. station wagon, oh, Beamer man. sports. Don't get me like started. when you take a sports car that's also luxury and station wagon, pff, it's like the Swiss knife of cars. It's like the ultimate dad car. Yeah, yeah. and then you have it lifted. Woo! Lifted, of course. You want to go off road? No. I mean, yeah. You got to you got to lift it. You got to put it on 35s. No. Uh, what you, you can about? go all-wheel drive. You don't have to have four-wheel. It's fine. <laughs> All wheels just as good. Praise be to God. <laughs> you just get 80,000 uh, pound winch on the front end, but no big deal. That was Shakespeare's choice, by the way. Was they the Beamer? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Beamer, uh, the Beamer wagon, sports <laughs> luxury. Yeah, believe it or not, monster Frankenstein mm-hmm. thing. Yep. It's hilarious. Yeah. Did, did you ever like contemplate uh, Shakespeare being religious in any way, shape, or form as a kid? No, I but you, I you had, had to this, read Shakespeare in high school. Exactly.
6: I, but I, I had the same thought when I, when I heard somebody tell me for the first time. They said, well, he must have been Catholic. I was like, what? what? No, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. Right. It, it did seem, seem weird to be. me. Yeah. But uh, Mr. Pierce put some pretty interesting evidence yeah. uh, to to mm-hmm. confirm that. So. Favorite awesome. Shakespeare ever? What would you say? I've got to go with the classic, man. Which is? Romeo and Juliet. No. I love it. Leonardo DiCaprio
5: won't leave my mind every time you say that. That's why I like it. No. I love that movie. I think it's hilarious. (sighs) Adrian, especially when he draws a gun, it sounds like a sword. (laughs) Favorite Shakespeare ever, Adrian?
1: Favorite Shakespeare ever. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Othello's good. Othello. Othello's good. Um, But I also, I like Macbeth. Macbeth is really good as well. Mm -hmm. I've actually never finished Hamlet. What? It's too much. It's are you, too long. Are you cat- Richard like the or? Third is also very good. You like Richard? Richard the Third is okay. very good. Yeah. But uh, I, I, need to, I need to actually get through Hamlet. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's so long.
5: Uh, of course you saw the uh, Mel Gibson version of that? Nope. It's like I'm, it's like I'm all alone in the world sometimes. <laughs> uh, my favorite, I would have to say, is, uh, is Caesar. Uh, Friends, Romans, countrymen. Hail, Caesar. Lend me your ear. I come not to pray Caesar, but to bury him. Interesting accent. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you did watch. Was that Char- a Roman, accent? Did you see, <laughs> it's Roman it's, accent? I have no idea what that accent <laughs> was. Did you watch Charlton Heston's version of that?
1: No. No. Oh, man. It was that. Was
5: Charlton. Charlton?
1: Charlton. Peace be upon him. Char- Charlton Heston. Peace you mean Moses? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs>
5: Moses, who also did Caesar. It was good stuff, anyway. Praise uh, be to God. Well, we're about to jump into a conversation here with Attorney Brent Haynes. If you, in fact, my dear listener, missed our conversation, our fascinating conversation about how William Shakespeare was, in fact, Catholic and uh, and how they lived their life in a time of great crisis, trying to maintain the sacraments, living in a state of grace was very difficult for them. How did they go about that? We had a wonderful conversation with Joseph Pierce. You can catch the podcast version of that on our website at grnonline.com forward slash cdt. So I would encourage you to check that out. But let's go to the phones. Attorney Brent Haynes, Catholic speaker, uh, an advocate for pro-life and religious liberty, and so much more, joins us now by phone. Good morning to you, Brent.
7: Good morning, Joe. Do you have a favorite Shakespeare work? Well, that uh, that is a tough question, isn't it? Well, it made me think back to... Uh, since I'm a little older and grew up, when we had a little more education in the public school system. And in our junior high system, I went to a junior high, not a middle school, Mm -hmm. uh, we read Romeo and Juliet, and then in high school, we read Macbeth. Mm -hmm. And I remember, honestly, it it made quite an impression on many of the students.
5: Yeah, Um, it's a a bit
7: dark. Well, great literature, uh, it's supposed to do that. That's what makes it great. Mm -hmm. So... um, I'm I'm almost afraid to ask what they're reading in the high schools these days.
5: So. <laughs> you know, it's probably, yeah. do they still read Shakespeare? I wonder. That's interesting. Hmm. Dead rate, white
7: male. Yeah,
5: right. uh, there are some great stories in the news. One here that you sent to me is a near-total abortion ban in Indiana passes GOP-controlled Senate and heads to the House. This is good news. Praise be to God. What's going on? What's going
7: on, Joe, is exactly what the Supreme Court said should go on when they issued the dobbs opinion overruled roe v wade and said that they were returning the issue to the states Um, what is happening now is all across the country states are working out in their individual state systems their resolution of this difficult you know what for many people is a difficult um, issue Um, today in kansas kansas voters will vote on a constitutional amendment to the Kansas State Constitution that would declare that the Kansas State Constitution does not protect a, or provide a right to abortion. What happened was in 2019, uh, the, uh, after many years of pro-life laws, including in 2015, Kansas had passed one of the uh, first uh, really early bans on abortion. And over the next several years, they they passed several laws to limit abortion. Then, in 2019, the Kansas State Supreme Court issued a sweeping ruling that is arguable. Uh, they used vague language in the Texas, in the I'm sorry, in the Kansas Constitution that said there's a right to abortion. Well, how do you resolve that in an electoral system? Well, one way is you, you try to file court challenges like we did with Roe v. Wade at the national level. But the other thing you can do is you can amend your constitution. So in Kansas, they went through the electoral process and the political process. And today, the voters of Kansas will go to vote on an amendment that if it passes, it will say that the state constitution does not uh, provide a right to abortion. And then that, in effect, will return the authority on that issue to the legislature where the people, through their elected representatives, can Pass the laws that they think are appropriate to protect life now switch over to Indiana in Indiana same kind of process is going on Indiana is an even more pro-life state uh, in many ways certainly more pro-life than most in Indiana the state senate has passed a bill it's now in the state house and the debate in Indiana isn't whether to really pass the bill the debate in Indiana is over how strong or how strict or how lenient the bill should be the bill in the Senate actually drew no votes because some state senators thought that it was not strict enough and they're concerned about abuses. You know, for example, if you allow an, you know, an exception for rape or incest, you could get women coming in saying, you know, I was raped when, you know, that might be questionable in a given case, or allowing exceptions, say for you know the health of the mother. Well, we know that that has been abused historically by saying that it causes the psychological damage if you don't give the woman an abortion. But the point is, these issue, the the abortion issue is working out, working itself out. People are being able to engage in the political process, are being able to make their voice heard, and the political process is allowed to work. This is what Ruth Bader Ginsburg talked about. Uh, when she criticized Roe, she said this was exactly the process that had been stopped, that had been cut off prematurely by Roe. And the effect of that was that there was all of this, uh, there's all this pent-up, uh, frustration that, that just built up for years. And now, uh, people are able to engage in the political process and that's what they're doing. That's what the Dobbs decision intended and that's what's happening.
5: Uh, yet we see at the federal level they're desperately trying to find some workaround in these states that are pushing back against abortion and making abortion restrictions more prevalent. Uh, I've even heard that they're thinking about using the VA to do
7: this. Joe, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And that, that's the price of every right that we have. Um, and pro-lifers who want to protect the uh, lives of the unborn uh have to be eternally vigilant. Um the uh your discussion last hour about Bachera and his activities, uh that that was right on the mark. Um that they will use every means possible. We see now that Elizabeth Warren wants to shut down pregnancy centers. That's nothing new. That Congressman Henry Waxman held pseudo hearings in Congress about fifteen to seventeen years ago accusing, you know, making the old claims that pregnancy centers are frauds. Um we're always going to be attacked on this issue and we have to be ever vigilant. So the, uh, the important thing in terms of the uh, Dobbs ruling and the, the two state actions we're talking about today is that, you know, so far so good. Uh, The system is working the way it's supposed to. In Europe, they did not have the equivalent of a Roe v. Wade decision. They did not have the, you know, the equivalent of a, Court-ordered mandate that shut down debate, shut down discussion, and refused to allow people to work out their differences. And as a result, they came to their own democratic resolutions on the abortion issue. They were able to resolve their issues, and they had, and they were able to come to a greater degree of consensus. We had no consensus in the United States, and it didn't create the massive social rift that we have in the United States. You know, it's our jobs as Christian scholars to evangelize for Christ. Uh, to, uh, do the, do the work of Christ. And part of that is protecting innocent life. And we can go out and advance the pro-life cause now more effectively after the Dobbs decision, uh, by being good Christians, by, by helping to open people's eyes to the fact that the pre-born child is a human being. And, you know, thank heaven for the Dobbs decision because it's allowing us to do that
5: there's another story here it says openly Christian women' soccer player sidelined for refusing to wear LGBT pride jersey kind of reminds me of that uh, Xavier Becerra uh, story we covered the last hour they want to force these uh, these people to sort of play along to toe the line the article said out of the in the one that I read last hour uh, what's going on with this uh, sir so you can't have any you can't you can't not toe the line or else your career is over
7: well it's interesting because apparently this soccer player's she's very courageous her name is jaylene daniels um she must be uh worth keeping on the roster because they recently re-signed her hmm. so uh at what happened was the team they declared the team was going to wear lgbtq plus emblems or, or uniforms or have that theme they they're going to be wearing rainbow jerseys, essentially. And as a Christian, she wasn't comfortable doing that. And she said, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, you're benched. You know, you can't play in that game. So this uh, apparently is a special event where they're going to wear, you know, sports teams often wear uniforms for special occasions. And she's going to be benched for that. But it's interesting that they didn't fire her, that they want to utilize her for her sports talent because, strangely enough, Joe, Sports teams want to win,
11: and to win,
7: <laughs> you need to have the best player.
0: Uh,
7: but after they re-signed her a while back, they uh, they actually apologized to the community for signing her. So they hire her, and then they right. basically apologize to everybody for hiring her. Yeah. Um, the sad thing is, this is real discrimination. It's happening all across the country. Mm-hmm. And if you're a celebrity uh, soccer star, you know, if you're ba- basically you know a celebrity athlete. Uh, you might be able to get away with this. If you're working for a Fortune 500 company and they can easily replace you, maybe not so easily in the current environment, but in generally they can replace you by simply firing you, finding even a pretext to fire you, and then hiring somebody who's more woke or somebody who doesn't care, then you're in real trouble. Um, I have people in my parish who come to me from time to time and talk to me about the Human Resources Department's actions in their corporations, This uh, discrimination against Christians is real, Hmm. and we hear about it in the small business context. We don't hear about it as often in the employer-employee context of larger corporations, but it's out there.
5: Yeah, here's a little bit from the Daily Wire article on this. It says, quote, the decision to re-sign Jaylene was not made lightly and included significant conversations between organization leadership and Jaylene. The letter added, the priority expressed in those conversations is the safety of our players and maintaining an inclusive, respectful space for the entire team. Daniels posted her own response on her Twitter account, emphasizing that she loves all people regardless of belief system or sexuality. Quote, my love for each of these women is rooted in who they are as a person. I believe everyone, regardless of gender, ethnicity, beliefs, or abilities, is worthy of dignity, value, and love. They make a better person, a better player and a better teammate close quote, quote daniel said she says i remain committed to my faith and my desire for people to know that my love for them isn't based on their belief or sexuality so interesting the uh, the beatings shall continue until morale improves i guess Brent haynes god bless you god love you thanks for being on with us today
7: thank you joe
5: All right, we're going to go to break. Come back and play Fear and Trembling, and you could win prizes, but you have to call 877-757-9424. Call right now. We'll be right back. I have some friends who
11: are Catholic who say that you don't have to believe everything that the church teaches, whether it's in the catechism or not. Is that true?
4: No, it's not true. If you want to call yourself Catholic, but you want to pick and choose for yourself which of the church's teachings to accept and which to reject, you give everyone else who calls themselves Catholic the right to do the same thing. For example, you believe women should be priests. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1577, it states, Only a baptized man validly receives ordination. For this reason, the ordination of women is not possible. You don't believe that. Well, that's fine. I just made this a catechism of your Catholic church, but not mine. But remember, if you can throw doctrines out, so can everyone else who calls himself Catholic. That gives Joe Parishner over at St. Dowding Thomas Catholic Church the right to throw out the church's social justice teachings. He doesn't feel like feeding the hungry, caring for the poor, and all that other bleeding heart stuff. Paragraphs 2401 to 2463. I just made this a catechism of his Catholic Church, but not mine. You believe contraception is okay. Paragraph 2370 says contraception is intrinsically evil. Joe parishioner doesn't like what the church teaches on the death penalty. Paragraphs 2364 to 65. You don't like what it teaches on these pages, pages 505 to 508. He doesn't like what it teaches on these other pages here, pages 610 to 615. Can you see what's happening? I heard it said once that there is a shortage of vocations to the priesthood in the United States, but no shortage of vocations to the papacy. If we don't believe in all of it, if we each appoint ourselves pope and throw out a doctrine here or a doctrine there, then our faith is no longer Catholic.
8: A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe
11: Radio Network, radio for your soul.
2: Welcome to another round
12: of fear and trembling (laughs) the catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants it's a 50 50 chance and prizes are involved avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth call now to take your shot 877-757-9424 and now your host joe mcclain
5: praise be to jesus christ welcome back to catholic drive time and fear and trembling The Catholic Trivia Game Show, where we have secrets and agendas. And please do me a favor, do not share with anybody our secrets. All right, that's the deal. But what you need to do is make a phone call. If you would like to play, possibly win some cool prizes, well, your chances are fantastic, because right now the phone lines are open. Adrian Fonseca standing by to take your call at 877-757-9424. Call right now. 877-757-9424. First caller gets to play the game at 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. There are a few things that we like to do here on the down low. We like to keep it secret, though. Number one, we teach the faith. So we look for teachable moments in the questions where you just might learn something you didn't know before. Praise be to God. Uh, that's cool, but uh, we always like to have a laugh, and our callers are actually amazing. They laugh with us. They, they have a good chuckle, and we appreciate that most, especially when they call 877 757 for a call right now. 8777579424. And then of course we give out prizes which means this is a winner for everybody involved. All right, you can't lose this deal. It's easy, it's fun, and here's the real kicker. You don't have to know any of the correct answers. win our game. You just got to call 877-757-9424. And uh, the first caller gets to play 877-757-9424. And the reason why you don't need to know is because I won't ask you the questions. I'll ask Rudy. I'll ask Adrian. They'll give us a correct answer, and they'll also give us an incorrect answer. The caller will then have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision. Whom do they trust more, Rudy or Adrian? Call now, 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. Rudy, what could they win?
6: Praise be to God. This week our sponsor is Theology of the Body. The winner this week is going to win one of their Blood of the New and Eternal Covenant shirts, which features a beautiful chalice of the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, just think of the awesome opportunities for con- conversation that you're going to have when you're wearing this wonderful shirt mm-hmm. out and about. Mm. People are going to wonder, what? Ooh. What is that? Ooh. And it's mm. going to give you an opportunity to evangelize. <laughs> so, if you'd like one for yourself, check out Teology of the Body. That's T-E-E-O-L-O-G-Y of the Body on Etsy. Mm-hmm. Theologyofthebody.etsy.com Or connect with them on Twitter, Theology of the Body. And if you're uh, inclined to Instagram, you can mm-hmm. visit... TheologyOfTheBody.shop.
5: Hey now. Thank you so much. Praise be to God. All right. We're very grateful to Theology of the Body. A uh, nice little play on words there. Praise be to God for being our sponsor this week. Let's go to the phones. Clarence, good morning to you. Good morning to you also. Praise be to God, Clarence. Thanks for your call today. Where are you calling from? Uh, Houston, Texas. H-Town, hold it down. Are you a big yep. Astros fan? Am I who? An Astros fan. Uh, yes. Praise be to Jesus. Uh, now where do you go to church, Clarence? St. Peter the Apostle. St. Peter the Apostle. I have been there, actually. It's been probably, oof, a long time. Six, seven, eight years, maybe. But I have been there. Uh, how, uh, do you know the rules, Clarence? Do you know how this game works? (laughs) Yes, I do. All right. Praise be to Jesus. I'm on your side. That's the one thing you got to know more is like uh, it's okay. me it's me and you against them all right and I have all to right. warn you that brother Rudy is wearing a tie today uh so you might want to take that into into consideration Excellent. with his with his questions and answers are you ready to go Clarence I'm ready to go let's do this we will start with team Rudy as is our custom good morning to you uh Rudy good morning what's the color of that tie today
6: well uh it's mm-hmm. a, a diamond pattern on a okay. field of ox blood.
5: Ox blood? Yes. Ox blood. Ox uh, blood. That's an official color?
6: Yeah. yeah, otherwise known as maroonish red. Gigamaggies. Uh,
5: gigamishish. <laughs> Ox blood. I never heard it. Say Ox Longhorn blood? blood? Yeah, no. <laughs> Longhorn blood. <No>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure the tie was made while standing upon Longhorn blood, but otherwise. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, Rudy, good morning. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. Praise be to God. Uh, please don't let Clarence down today. Clarence, I won't let you down, brother. I won't let you down. Could you tell me, then, who is the patron saint of skiers?
6: The patron saint of skiers. All right, so you may have noticed uh, that uh, recently a pope was uh, an avid hiker. He would go out. There's pictures of him uh, in old age going up to the mountains. Actually, it was St. JP, too. That was the uh, patron saint of skiers. He was an avid skier himself. I remember
5: a picture of Of him up there. Yeah, interesting. The active loop. Okay, wearing pants, kind of, kind of interesting, but okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. uh, Let's see what uh, Brother Adrian
1: has to say. Adrian, you ski. Could you tell me who is the patron saint of skiers? Well, while I actually have never been skiing, I actually do, in fact, identify as having a PhD in skiing. Do you? I do, in fact. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Currently, Uh at this moment. And they, they, they
5: offer that program. Yes, they UST do. They, they do. It's
1: the the PhD in skiing, skiing, and okay. <laughs> and so that would be Saint Bernard. Saint Bernard, you mm-hmm. say? I like huh. the dog? I remember that. Mm-hmm. It's got you the, remember the dog? It's got the casket under his chin. Mm. Yeah, helping
5: uh, helping people lost in the mountains of Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Uh, well, Clarence from Houston. Uh, the question is, who is the patron saint of skiers? Adrian seems to think it's Saint Bernard, uh, but Rudy says it's Saint JP2. Uh, Fifteen seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Clarence, what say you? I'm gonna have to go with the dog.
6: <laughs> saint Bernard. <laughs> well played. <laughs>
5: Well played. Notice he didn't say I have to go with Adrian on that. He's, He's going to go with the dog. <laughs> He's going to go with the dog. You are correct. It By is... the dog, you mean Dominicani? Oh, ouch. St. Bernard is the correct answer. Clarence, well done. Was that an easy one? Did you know that one, or, was, or were we throwing you a curveball there?
12: You were throwing me a curve curveball, but whatever the... Uh... At least it was close in the range. (laughs) There you go. go.
5: (laughs) Well, you played it very cool there. So you're in the cup. You could win, Clarence. But I think we're going to get you in there at least one other time. This next one, though, is one that would always trick me up. If I had to answer this without knowing the answer, I'm probably going to get it wrong. But let's see if we can't get you through it. We'll go to Adrian first. Adrian, can you tell me what is the seventh station of the cross?
1: That's the seventh station of the cross. We talked about this not long ago. That was the meeting of our Lord Mm -hmm. with the women. That's whenever he had his face wiped by Veronica. Oh, so it's the Veronica scenario. It is the Veronica scenario. Okay. That's like a movie. It should be the Veronica scenario. Our our Lord of the Holy Face. Uh, Veronica of the Holy Face.
5: All right. Well, let's see what Rudy says. Rudy. Can you tell me, what is the seventh station of the cross, sir? Now, you guys are always talking about Dominicans, Franciscans.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. put yourself okay. in a Jesuit state of mind. Wait. Jesuit I try to avoid that. imagination here. Put yourself at the, the stations of the cross, uh-huh. and picture our Lord falling for the second time. Oh. Crushed beneath the weight
5: of your sins. Oh, okay. So... so. Your answer is Jesus falls a second
1: time. That's right. Huh. Wasn't the Franciscans the one who created the station of the cross? Uh, you, mm. Clarence, could you tell me, uh, <laughs> is Rudy right when he says Jesus
5: falls for the second time, or is it Adrian when he says it is uh, Veronica wiping our Lord's uh, face? Uh, Fifteen seconds on the clock. Who is right? Who is wrong? Clarence, what say you? I'm going to have to go with Adrian. Uh with no. Veronica uh, watching no. his face. Ah, I'm so <laughs> sorry. Okay. Uh, uh in fact, okay. the correct answer and I, just, I I never get these right personally, but the correct answer is Jesus Falls for the second time. It seems like I just thought that was too early. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you on that. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Like seven stations in. Yeah. It took it took that long, seven whole stations?
1: Wow. Halfway through. Yeah. The sixth yeah. station was Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. Yeah. Tricky. He were close. Tricky. You were very Very, close. very tricky.
5: But nonetheless, do not fear. We're going to get Saint you. Francis. This Great next one,
1: I say it's the easiest of the day. Oh, I don't know. This might be the hardest question we've ever had on Catholic Drive Time.
5: <laughs> <laughs> this is don't fear. Easily there. the but, hardest
1: question but we've, but we've ever had. Easily the <laughs> easiest.
5: Here we go. We're going to go back to Rudy. Rudy, could you tell me, mm-hmm. what is the term for the diocesan office... Where the administration of a diocese is carried on and where records and documents of diocesan courts are kept. (laughs) It's lovingly called,
6: affectionately called, the pit of despair because... (laughs) They have no digital records, they have Mm -hmm. to use analog (laughs) records, so it's affectionately called the Pit of Despair. But really, is that like by the
5: people who have to work that uh, process, like digitizing all those documents? The people who have to go get the documents. (laughs) (laughs) So is that your actual answer? Yeah, the Pit of
6: Despair is what they call it. Really? Yeah. unofficial term, but
5: colloquially. I see. I see. Okay. Uh, must be Hebrew. Colloquially. Colloquially. Um, William. A- Adrian, could you tell me what is the term for the diocesan office where the administration of a diocese is carried on and where records and documents of a diocesan court are kept?
1: Yes, I can tell you where the term for the diocesan office where the administration of a diocese is carried on and where the records and documents of diocese courts are kept. That would be the chancery. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. Well, Clarence, you got options. Adrian
5: says it's called a chancery. A little too on the nose. Uh, Rudy says it's called the pit of despair. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Clarence, what say you?
7: Uh, I'm going to have to go with the chancery. You just got to, right? (laughs) Well played, good
5: sir. The pit of despair, although tempting, is not the right answer. Ah, yes. Where were we? Clarence, good job. You're in for two. Thanks for having a laugh with us today. You're welcome. God bless you, you. Clarence. Have a great day. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere. But I hope you have a great day today. That's going to do it for the radio side of our show. If you can join us in the after show, dear listener, we would love to have you on board. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt hang out with us on one of the live video feeds where you can comment directly we'll see you there, we'll see you back here tomorrow, God bless you thank you for joining
3: us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired, join us Monday through Friday at the same time right here
8: on
5: your favorite Catholic radio station don't
2: forget to connect with us, just go to facebook.com
4: forward slash
5: catholic drive time again, that's facebook.com forward slash catholic drive time
8: Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the memorial of Saint Peter J- Julian Eymard. The intention for today's mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. Shall rise to thee, holy, 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 merciful and mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity.
12: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.
8: And with your spirit.
12: Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God God. and to you, you, my my brothers brothers and sisters, sisters, that I have greatly greatly sinned sinned in my my thoughts and in my words, words, in what I have done
11: and what I have have failed failed to to do. do let us pray. O God, who adorned St. Peter Julian Amiard with a wonderful love for the sacred mysteries of the body and blood of your Son, graciously grant that we too may be worthy to receive the delights he drew from this divine banquet. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever.
8: A reading from the book of the prophet Jeremiah. The following message came to Jeremiah from the Lord. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words I have spoken to you in a book. For thus says the Lord, Incurable is your wound, grievous your bruise. There is none to plead your cause. No remedy for your running sore. No healing for you. All of your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. I struck you as an enemy would strike. punished you cruelly. Why cry out over your wound? Your pain is without relief. Because of your great guilt, your numerous sins, I have done this to you. Thus says the Lord, See, I will restore the tents of Jacob. His dwellings I will pity. City shall be rebuilt upon hill, and palace restored as it was. For them will resound songs of praise the laughter of happy men. I will make them not few but many. They will not be tiny, for I will glorify them. His sons shall be as of old. His assembly before me shall stand firm. I will punish all his oppressors. His leader shall be one of his own, and his rulers shall come from his kin. When I summon him, he shall approach me. How else should one take the deadly risk of approaching me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. The Word of the Lord. The Lord will build up Zion again and appear in all his glory. The Lord will build up Zion again and appear in all his glory. The nations shall revere your name, O Lord, and all the kings of the earth your glory. When the Lord has rebuilt Zion and appeared in his glory, when he has regarded the prayer of the destitute and not despised their prayer, the Lord will build up Zion again and appear in all his glory. Let this be written for the generations to come, and let his future creatures praise the Lord. The Lord looked down from his holy height, from heaven he beheld the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoners, to release those doomed to die. The Lord will build up Zion again, and appear in all his glory. The children of your servants shall abide, and their posterity shall continue in your presence, that the name of the Lord may be declared in Zion, and his praise in Jerusalem, when the peoples gather together, and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. The Lord will build up Zion again and appear in all his glory. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. alleluia. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Alleluia. Alleluia. Alleluia.
12: The Lord be with you.
8: And with your spirit.
12: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew.
8: Glory to you, O Lord.
12: Some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat a meal. He summoned the crowd and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what enters one's mouth that defiles the man, but what comes out of the mouth is what defiles one. Then his disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when, you heard, when they heard what you said? He said in reply, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. The Gospel of the Lord.
8: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
12: At first, it's true. There is some truth to it that what you have contact with has a possibility to defile you. They're talking about physically saying that if you physically touch something, you have to purify your hands because not just your hands, but your soul is also defiled. And what you eat, if you touch a certain kind of food, and this and that, but spiritually too, it's true. Uh, you, you, you know, if you get contact with something that you watch on the internet or that can defile you uh, and you have to avoid uh, evil so that it doesn't have any effect in you but that 's just the beginning that 's the kind of basic uh, no brainer that you have to avoid toxic razor sharp trash like that uh, especially in our age of pornography and other many different kinds of strange things that have uh, surfaced in the past, even the past couple of years. New yeah. forms of uh, impurity. But deeper than that is what you choose to do in your relationship with Jesus Christ. How you give your affections to Him, the posture of worship you have with your whole being toward Him, this is really, really important. Um, because if if you don't what happens is purity becomes a certain kind of constant looking in the mirror the moral mirror how pure am i today or how and it becomes very self-centered where you're constantly looking at how if you know you, how well you're doing instead of looking at the living relationship that comes from Jesus and for that reason purity will always be much better the, the posture of it is much better when you're at service of other people and compassionate to other people because otherwise it, it becomes a certain kind of moral elitism of you're, I'm pure and I don't want to hang out with these impure people. It's really has to be something that's based on Jesus Christ, this Christocentric, not egocentric. And in fact, that's a much more moral impure thing because it's arrogance. And arrogance and pride and saying, I don't want to be around these kind of people or that kind of thing, is actually the opposite of Christian charity. And it is even possible for you to grow in purity having contact with uh, difficult situations, very painful situations, and they can actually be a better catalyst to uh, grow in purity and grow in innocence. Like Jesus, Jesus had contact with all the sins of all mankind and he grew in innocence because he kept choosing the Father. He kept choosing to offer all everything that happened to him as a sacrifice of praise and expiation for all mankind to the Father. And that is what we need to reach to in purity. St. Peter Julian Emyard taught that purity is is brought about by a living relationship with Holy Mother of God, and with Jesus in the most blessed sacrament. If we do this and we have a lively love of neighbor, and we do avoid things that can, give us, uh, to, can lead us astray, we will live the life of purity in a very humble and very compassionate and fruitful way. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church, that it may shine forth the holiness of Jesus Christ, we pray to the Lord. We pray for our Holy Father, O bishops and priests, that they may lead the church with wisdom and courage. We pray to the Lord. Lord, We pray for our government leaders, that they may not obstruct Christ. We pray for an end to abortion, same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking. We pray to the Lord.
8: Lord, hear our prayer.
12: We pray for the sick, the suffering, and the poor. We pray to the Lord.
8: Lord, hear our prayer
12: we pray for all of our beloved dead. We pray to the Lord.
8: Lord, hear our prayer.
12: Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us, for make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary as we pray together. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, grace, the Lord Lord is is with with thee. Blessed Blessed art thou thou among among women, women, and blessed Blessed is 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 the fruit fruit of of thy womb, womb, Jesus. Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary Mother of God, pray for
8: for us sinners, sinners, now now and and at at the the hour 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 of our death. death. Amen. Amen. The King of love my shepherd is whose goodness fail with never I nothing lack. If I am His and He is mine forever, where streams of living water flow, my ransom so He leadeth, and why Dead pastures grow with food celestial feedeth. Perverse and foolish oft I strayed, but yet in love he sought me and on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me.
12: Pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May May the Lord
8: accept the sacrifice at your hands. Praise and glory of his name for our good and good of all, his holy church.
12: Most merciful God, who are pleased to create in St. Peter, Julian, Emir the new man in your image, the old having passed away, graciously grant, we pray, that renewed like him, we may offer you acceptable sacrifice of conciliation through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you.
8: And with your spirit.
12: Lift up your hearts.
8: We lift them up to the Lord.
12: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God,
8: It is right and just.
12: It is truly right and just. Our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere, to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, almighty and eternal God. For you are praised in the company of your saints, and in crowning their merits you crown your own gifts. By their way of life you offer us an example. By communion with them you give us companionship, by their intercession sure support. So that encouraged by so great a cloud of witnesses, we may run as victors in the race before us, and win with them the imperishable crown of glory, through Christ our Lord. And so with angels and archangels, with the great multitude of saints, we sing the hymn of your praise, as without end we acclaim.
8: Sanctus, 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 Sanctus Dominus Dei, Deus Sabaot, Plenis Unce the Tera, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in shall cease.
6: Benedictus. Benedictus
8: qui in nomine domini. Hosanna in shall
11: cease.
12: You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit,
11: A mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come
12: again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with Saint Peter, Julian, and with all the saints, on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help, May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth with your servant, Francis, our Pope, Michael, our Bishop, the order of bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you summoned before you in your compassion, O merciful Father. Gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world, to our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory, through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good.
11: Roe him and with him and in him, O God, almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Proceptus bus moniti et divin institutioni formati au dehi Paternos de quiescent
8: celis, sanctificetuor no homentuorum, adveniat reynum tuum, piat voluntas tua,
4: sicut in celo
8: hoe ed in terra, pana nostrum cotidianum, da nobis odie,
11: Timite nobis debita nostra, siccut
8: nostimitimus debitoribus nostris, ne nos enducas in tentationem,
12: se libera nos Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, and by the help of your mercy,
8: Quito this at Miserere nobis. On your stay. Quito this at Dona nobis pacem.
12: Behold the lamb of God. Communion Antiphon, the Lord is my portion, for he is good to the soul that seeks him. Act of Spiritual Communion My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul.
8: to adore. Masked by these bare shadows, shape and nothing more. See, Lord, at thy service, low lies here a heart. Lost, all lost in wonder, at the God thou art. See, touching, tasting, are in thee deceived. How says trusty hearing, that shall be believed. What God's Son has told me, take for truth I do. Truth himself speaks truly Or there's nothing true On the cross thy Godhead Made no sign to man Here thy very manhood Steals from human ken. Both are my confessors Both are my belief, and I pray the prayer of the dying thief.
11: Let us pray. By the power of this sacrament, Lord, we pray. Lead us always in your love through the example of St. Peter Julian Amiard and bring to fulfillment the good work you have begun in us until the day of Christ Jesus who lives and reigns forever and ever.
3: Amen.
12: The Lord be with you. And, and with, with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ.
8: Thanks be to God. Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Evermore his praises sing. Alleluia, alleluia. Praise the everlasting King. Praise him for his grace and favor to his people in distress. Praise him.
6: The prayer to Saint Michael.
5: Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle.
8: Thy peace
2: always in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.
12: Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.
2: Hi, this is Joseph Earthman from St. Teresa.